0: I love scotch,
1: scotch, 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 Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. (laughs) (laughs) I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat. People look at you like you were like an alien. The Beatles came on and they picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that (laughs) wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. (laughs) And that was the closest (laughs) I ever came to the Beatles. Can we have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Welcome back to United States of Dramerica. And I have joining me over Zoom from the United Kingdom. Very excited. Journalist, broadcaster, Internet entrepreneur, Gavin Ramjong.
0: Hello, Dan, thanks for having me. Oh wow, I love the intro. Love it, man. How are you doing? All right?
1: Yeah, good, thank you. Um, very excited to have you on. So I guess the question I have to ask you is and this is how we start all the questions uh, since March is this is, given that you're a sport is part of the work that you do on TV, how has your yeah. last few months been? Oh,
0: my word. Well, I'll tell you something, Dan. It's been, uh, it's been very interesting, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, since lockdown hit, like it's, it's just been a case of keeping people updated with, um, with when things are coming back, what, uh, you know, what kind of news lines are, are interesting for, for when the events do take place again. Um, obviously, it's changed a bit now because things are starting to return. You know, We've had football back here, or soccer, as you call it for American viewers or, or listeners. Um, and, um, you know, there's been, there's been, there's, I think to begin with, it was interesting because what we had was a, a lot of news about, you know, the events just falling, you know, tumbling down like dominoes. Uh, the Olympics went and, you know, the league was cancelled and, the uh, football league that is. And, um, lots of other sports were just dropping. And then next thing you know, you had a lot, a lot of stuff about athletes' mental health. Um, and, you know, a lot of athletes were struggling. A lot of athletes were talking about how they were keeping fit, how they were keeping themselves in shape, how they were keeping themselves sane. And then you had the other angle, which is the business side of it too. So you had a lot of sponsors really, you know, worried about kind of like you know not getting any kind of eyeballs for their events that were taking place or due to take place. And then you have the the side where you know, you know, football to a degree, soccer to a degree is relatively recession proof. I think, particularly the Premier League anyway. Maybe not the lower leagues, but the the Premier League is. But um, you have a lot of other sports, for example, like athletics or you know ones that depend on Really, really, you know, strong commercial investment um, going into them to make them happen. And when that drops off, you have real jeopardy for the future of a lot of sports. And so we had a lot of that going through as well. So in terms of like, you know, the the, the period, it hasn't actually been as fallow as people might, might might think. It's actually been a really rich time for news, but it's not been good news. But yeah, like it's it's just been unbelievable it has to be i have to say it's been unbelievable and the the, the effect for everything you know how the offices are working how the studios are working and you know the the impact of how we do guests how we do interviews how you know effectively the whole operation yeah it's just and this is for everybody in the industry, and and it's it's you know it's just unbelievable you know i don't know how you found it at your, your end but it's just a real shock and a real lesson in resilience and, and staying kind of sane and happy as much as possible really <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. You've worked for, I think, nearly every broadcaster in the UK at some point. You've <laughs> Part from for... Part apart from, from Channel, Channel 4. Apart from Channel 4. You've done Channel 5, you've done Sky, yeah. you've the BBC, you've done stuff for CBS over in America, but on the sort of yeah. UK end. You're currently working at the BBC. You've been going in, I've noticed, you've started going into the Manchester studios a bit now to, to shoot stuff. How's that sort of travelling around been for you? Yeah,
0: well, BBC Sport is primarily based in Manchester. Um, you know, a lot of departments of, of the BBC have now are now in Salford Media City, which is an amazing complex uh, that has been around for about ten years or so now. So, Radio Five Live's there, Children's is there, lots of entertainments done there. Um, it's been it was strange at first uh, because obviously you know traveling up when there's nobody traveling um, and nobody kind of effectively moving because everyone's locked down. You know, as a key worker, I, I have the dispensation to do that, um, but it it's very it was just very surreal you know those 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 journeys are often very very busy um you know and um when they're when it's empty when on a train sale if you're driving up and there's no one on the roads it's just it's very surreal and then when you're up there as well like the place is usually buzzing it's usually you know it's a real high activity media city when there's no one around because of various restrictions and, and lockdowns etc it's just it doesn't i mean it's the same with london too you know all the london areas here where there's normally a, a hum of activity is just not around anymore uh well it wasn't around anymore it's sort of picked up a little bit but yeah i mean it was just it was it was weird i have to say it was weird um and i'm always one for having you know luxury of space and things having be, being not busy and I, I do appreciate that but when it's not when it's like that all the time it kind of I kind of think oh so all right. so this is how it is now then is it um yeah so it's just very surreal man very surreal indeed mm. um yeah i hope that I hope things do pick up again, um, but um, in terms of how it's been, now I've noticed the progression of it. In terms of you know things starting to come back again, it's not really picked up massively. To, to be honest, it's not really. No, it's not really. Kind of, uh, I'd say twenty-five percent capacity, if that. Mm. Yeah, on the, on the trains that is.
1: Obviously, part of the fun of being a sports journalist. You know, I I did it for a few years, what now seems a very long time ago, and what I loved about it was the travel and the access so going to a commonwealth games going to a you know a soccer game going to a rugby game watching it with the crowd and you know you'd be there and you can you're watching the game but you're when you're writing the story or doing the broadcast you're talking about the atmosphere and the fans as much as you are literally what happens on the pitch and then going into the dressing room afterwards and getting that instant access to the players which gives you a unique angle doing sport remotely so the sport's happening on the pitch but you're not there in the same way is it less fun is it more difficult is it more challenging is it more interesting how have you found that whole thing
0: uh it's it's um i mean you have to appreciate that the you know that the the games that are on the events that are on um you know they've moved you know heaven and earth to make this happen um so you have to appreciate that you know it's not Great when you have no crowds and no atmosphere because sport revolves around those fans, like you say, and being there as well, you know, being part of that atmosphere, you know, that's that's you know, when you are at the grounds, that is, or when you're at the games. Um, yeah, you cannot beat it. It's the most incredible experience ever. But I think everybody is under everybody is under the same um, kind of understanding now that that it's just the way it is for the moment, and you know, sadly, it is you know a little bit you know dulls if you have to be honest. It's not the same having the fake crowd noise when you're kind of watching the game back on the TV or if, you, if you're, you know, kind of having to, I think the emotion's still there. I think the emotion is still there, especially, you know, I looked at the snooker recently when Ronnie O'Sullivan won his sixth world title and it was quite, you know, the way he did it and the way, you know, the, mem- the, the momentous achievement of it and, you know, the fact that it was, you know, the action is still the action. You kind of appreciate that still. But yeah, it's, I think the atmosphere does lack a little bit, but everybody's on, on, under the same understanding of why. And you look at the recent Premier League games, um, you know, and currently in the Champions League as well, when you've got um, no crowds in the ground, and it's you know, you've seen some incredible. I mean, that Barcelona Bayern Munich game, my word, eight two to Bayern. Can you imagine what a crowd would be like there? That would have been insane. But people, are, people do get it. People get it, I think. And you have to understand that's you know that we're all we are. You know, to use a cliche, we are all in this together. So. I would say the experience is, is, you know, it's not the same, but you, you live in hope and will appreciate appreciate how good it is when it does come back. I think that's what it's done. I think it's made people take a step back and think, you know what, this is rubbish right now. This is, this is not how we want to live our lives. But when things do come back, we will appreciate it so much more. And that's certainly how I'm looking at it. You mm-hmm. know, I look at anything, you know, how it used to be, how we used to take it for granted and think to myself, you know what, these, these days they can be taken away you know, for, for a considerable stint quite easily. So we need to, you know, just be careful, be, be, uh, be hygienic, um, be, you know, safe and be sensible with, with how the experience is. And if we don't do that, then, you know, if we don't appreciate that, sorry, then I don't know. I think, I think this, this little stint that we were going through right now has shown us how much we, we, we had. You don't realise what you've got till it's gone, basically, that, that old saying yeah. and that old song.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Because I think there was some criticism over the last couple of years, of how in America they've broadcast soccer, where they've had commentators who are just watching it in a studio on a feed, rather than actually being at the games themselves, and it's just yeah. not the same. You know, certainly the way you and I have done sports journalism—you're you're, you're, you're there—that's sort yeah. of the point. Um, do you think there's a world where, because people have adjusted to it, and you've had commentators doing these amazing games like the Barcelona game, just sitting in a studio in Manchester. Um, do you think there's a version of life where even when things go back to normal to keep costs down and maybe to make logistics easier, people will do sort of remote re- commentating on games? Or do you think it will no, come? I, it no,
0: no, no. I really don't think so. I really, I really hope not anyway. I mean, it's... Yeah, like you say, it would it would be a, a cost-induced issue, but I don't think so. I really hope not, anyway, because I mean, I, I you know, for 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 reasons that you know are apparent, we you know, you have to remote be remote sometimes, especially when it's a pandemic and you you can't really get around some of the the rules and regulations. So, uh, but I think going forward, I, I honestly don't think that would be. Uh, yeah, you have to be at the games. You have to be there to see what's happening and you know the media have got dispensation to be at at a few things at the moment so it's still you know valid to be there but you know when the atmosphere comes back I have to say like you you can't you can't replicate being there you know that it's like it's just you have to be in in the zone you have to be there to feel it you have to be there to see it you know it's just it's it's you know that's part of the beauty of reporting isn't it you know you're seeing you're there living the experience for the viewer or listener so it's like that's that's the kind of essence of what we're all about really but yeah i mean it's an interesting business idea and business concepts i mean whether whether other outlets do that i'm not too sure but it's um yeah I, I would i would have imagined that people are very much thinking about their business models and thinking how they can kind of like do the job in as in as much as similar way as possible but without maybe having the same costs. so yeah
1: absolutely well, look, i've got lots more questions obviously but we should have a quick whiskey interlude so um i'll try to work yeah. out what the most appropriate whiskey to drink with you is... The best I could do is a sport-themed whiskey. So I've got my... I've been wanting to open this for a while. So I've got my bottle of Proper 12, which oh is my God. Colin McGregor's Irish whiskey. Um, so I am going to crack open a little bit of that. Ah... Um, uh. Because uh, it's, it's actually a lot of uh, celebrity-sponsored whiskeys aren't, well, celebrity-sponsored drinks are not necessarily very good, but they're just yeah. sold because of the link. But I actually find Proper 12 very, very drinkable, and okay. I'm going for Proper 12. Now, oh, good on you. What sort of, what sort of whiskey drinker are you?
0: I like, uh, I like the Hague at the moment, the Hague Club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the you know, yeah. one that David that's,
1: Beckham's involved with. Yeah. That's, that's a good sport one. It's a Simon Fuller, David Beckham whiskey.
0: Yeah, um, that's right. And it's a nice bottle as well. You like, I like the blue bottle. It's like a kind yeah. of aftershave bottle, if anything. But, yeah, yeah it's like, um, yeah, I don't, that's, that's what I'm to at the moment. That's what I had um, the other day when I was out. Um, have it with a bit of lemonade and a bit of ice. You know, it's, it's lovely. It's really refreshing. And it's not too heavy either, you know. Like, um, I mean, I'm not. I, I'm a. I'm a. i am not i am am drink whiskey every now and again, but I'm not a massive, massive whiskey fan. Um, although, having said that, uh, the best whiskey I ever had when I was I was in New York one day. It was quite a funny story. I was out in the, out in the, uh, out in this bar in uh, Midtown, and um, out with a friend of mine, and we were uh, sort of having a few drinks, and uh, there was these two guys that came and sat next to us, and uh, they looked like they were sort of like men about town. Looked like they were up for a bit of a laugh and what have you. They were just sort of like chilling and observing. And um, the, I, I sort of just offered to buy them the drink. I said, oh, you know, do you want a drink? Because I was ahead of them in the bar. So I was, I was just sort of like, you know, I'll just give them a, see if they went around. And the guy picks like the most expensive whiskey in the bloody, on the menu. And it's just like, oh my God, it's called, it was a McKellen. KV McKellen. No, not KV McKellen. That's a football team, isn't it? Uh, no, it was a McKellen. And um, it was like, a, or McGallan, Magellan. I think it's, I don't know how you pronounce it actually. M A G. McAllen that's it yeah 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 so see what I I don't yeah I didn't know but it was like um yeah the most expensive thing was like 70 dollars for like a flipping like a shot of it or something so anyhow like I'll give it to him and whatever and he starts we start chatting and stuff it turns out he's the Saudi Arabian oil minister so yeah made a friend for life there (laughs) yeah yeah I know I know so I bought the Saudi Arabian oil minister a nice uh McAllen and uh yeah he got he did fortunately he did get a couple of rounds back which is good so uh, but yeah typically he just had to buy the uh, the most expensive one
1: so you talked about mental health so early on in this as you're saying you were as you were finding new stories as it were you were interviewing athletes at home about how they're getting on how was that process how forthcoming were people about being asked very different type questions in a in a unique environment were were you getting the sort of levels of honesty and authenticity that were helpful or were people saying no I'm fine it's all okay?
0: Um no I think they were being very honest if I'm if I'm uh, yeah being real with you Dan. I think that they they've um yeah people were, were quite happy to talk about how, you know, because their routine effectively has been thrown completely off guard, you know. Um not mentioning any any names specifically, but I think that you look at some of them who have, you know, Olympic gold medal winners and you know some of them who are, you know, distinct in their fields. They're no, you know, they're, no, they, they, they're, they're elite competitors. no other way around it. And they're, they are they're effectively saying that because of all this that's happening, they're, they're, their schedules have been put off and, you know, their regimes are like kind of, you know, completely been disrupted. And you know, the family life is not the same. It's just because they're, they're stuck at home. So it's like everything is just heightened. And it's, there's so many things where, you know, where, where if you're not doing a regular routine, if it's completely, you know, if your life is just basically turned upside down, it's going to affect you in so so many ways. And a lot of them are being really really realistic about that. And I think that they're being, you know, quite frank about it too. And, you know, mental health is not really a a stigma anymore to talk about it, that is. So it's great and refreshing to hear people who are, you know, at the top of their game saying that they are struggling effectively. Um, And I think that that more people need to do that because it's, you know, this pandemic has completely wiped out so many people's kind of livelihoods and it's, it's killed a lot of um, relatives of people too. So he, people are affected in so many ways, but in terms of their mental health. So therefore it's, it's important that people talk about it and it's important that people are honest about it and real. And if you do put like a gloss over things and say, you know what, it's, I'm all right. I'm being kind of like, you know, pragmatic about everything when, you know, if you are struggling you do need help, it's important to be able to raise that because otherwise it, it could brew into something more serious. And that's what I think you're finding. People are um, not afraid to speak out about their problems.
1: Mm. So on that sort of broad subject, you have as many initiatives. You set up <laughs> something around sort of men's issues, as it were, in the form yeah. of your sort of podcast and channel around uh, around men's health called Manzilla.
0: Yes, that's right, Dan. Yeah, yeah, Manzilla. So Manzilla is um a concept I came up with about probably a year and a bit ago, just over a year ago or so. Um and it's effectively an an idea i wanted to address because what i think that a lot of 25 to 45 year old men particularly maybe older actually some of them are a little bit older too that are going through right now is you know huge huge changes in status huge changes in identity huge changes in um you know the way that they are perceived in the world and how they perceive themselves as well and manzilla is all about being that kind of like you know that that sort of shoulders to stand by really for, for guys who are struggling and guys who are worried about their place in society. You know, we've, we've done probably about maybe 40 ish podcasts about men's status and men's ideas and men's issues. You know, it can be anything to do with like dating sex, love uh, relationships it could be about um, uh, job security and stuff like that. I'm trying to think of some, some shows we've done really in the last few um, few weeks, but we've done some incredible, um, incredible shows. We've had some really good feedback and what I think it's important to do as, as, a, as, a, as a guy in, in today's world is you have to be you know, realistic about you know, the things that are going to trouble you. And when you get to 25 to 45, in between that, that, that age bracket, it can happen at any point, I think, in that, 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 that zone. You know, there, there, there are things that happen to you which fundamentally change you. And if you're not ready for that change, you will absolutely struggle. And that's why there are so many issues with men's mental health and suicide and depression um, in that in that category, particularly, you know, suicide is the one of the biggest killers of men in in a certain age group between, I think it's over 35s. Um, so it's 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 something that is there. It's a, it's a it very much is a, a problem that's not going away, and it's if anything, only going to get worse because of the current um, situation that we're in. You know, some of the sort of shows that we've done, I've, I remember we did one about Alpha Man. Is Alpha Man even a thing anymore? Is Alpha Man dead? You know, how do you how do you control your mental health when you are not this kind of like Neanderthal type character going out there, you know, and, and, you know, getting all the girls, et cetera, or winning all the clients, or, you know, winning every football match you play in and, and the strongest guy you know, et cetera. It's, it's, Alpha man doesn't really exist anymore, but, or maybe it does, but maybe it's something else. Those are little things like, you know, those little kind of issues that we talk about. We talk about online dating and whether online, how perilous online dating is and how, the dating world is currently for, for for guys of a certain standing. And, you know, where do guys stand when it comes to dating these days? Because it, it's, yeah, the power dynamics have shifted and there's there's no doubt about that. So this is quite a long answer, isn't it, Dan, actually? But,
1: no, but, it's a passion project of yours and there's obviously a lot. Yeah. I guess one obvious question I would ask is, so obviously I complete as a man, I completely yeah. understand where it's coming from. Has there been the question of sort of, given that, there's a, you know, rightly there's a view of men have been the beneficiary of gender privilege. Yeah, absolutely. You know, do, we, do we really need more men talking about men's stuff when the men have got so much of an advantage? Have you had that criticism from women's groups?
0: Uh, it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting question. I'm, I would actually welcome criticism like that from women's groups because it's a healthy debate to be had. Um, however, I would say that we are definitely not... Um, extremely pro man and anti woman. That's one thing that I want this platform to not be. Jesus, it would be an absolute disaster if that was the case. Because, yeah, absolutely, men have been the beneficiary of gender privilege for for so for so long, and you know, it's it's and it still is to a degree, you know, a problem. And it really it really is, and it needs to change. What I think this platform is designed to do is to encourage men to talk more about serious problems that are nagging away at their soul and that's not to do with you know oh look at me i'm a poor guy you know i'm not making x amount per year or whatever it's 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 not to do with that it's to do with deeper stuff to do with deeper psychology around you know family around like how you've been brought up about how you know you interact with your friends how, how you you know because guy a lot of being a, in my opinion a lot about being a man is about status you know about how, who you are in, in your you know being a man is is a, an interesting definition what how what that means to so many different people is really interesting because for a lot of guys, I think being a man is about living up to a certain value, living up to a certain way of being. And if you don't tick those boxes, then it can become a huge issue. And I'm not saying that in an anti-woman way. God, of course not. But I do think that there needs to be a bit of sympathy there because guys have been, for, for a long time, have been sweeping a lot of these issues under the carpet, burying them in their own psyche, getting on with things, not worrying about it, just plowing on. And then it comes, it comes back to the surface again at some point later in the life and. It can be re- It can. It, if it's not dealt with at the point of, of it arising to begin with, then it can destroy you as a guy. Because, you know, men take on a lot of stuff. Men take on a lot of issues, a lot of worry, a lot of kind of um, burden. And if they're, if they feel like they're on their own, then sometimes people don't know how to. Sometimes some guys don't know how to handle it. And that's when you see the worst things happen. So yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's a very much a proactive, um, thought provoking space where discussion is encouraged. And it's inclusive. And actually, if you look at our podcast as well, we have an equal balance of women coming on as guests. I have a female co-host as well when I'm doing it with co-hosts. So it's very much a balanced um, show discussion. And actually, you get interesting points coming in there because if it's just men talking about men all the time, it's the same things that you talk about, same voices you're hearing. There isn't any like, um, what is the term, dissonance within there. You have, if you have female dissonance in in the mix with the conversation, it's really important to get that. And if you don't have it, then um, then unfortunately you just hear the same types of voices and you get groupthink. So you know it's like a lot of problems in society. If you don't have different voices in there, different you know diversity effectively, then um, you you kind of are going to you're not going to solve any problems. So yeah, this one is just about getting guys to feel good again um, and you know being kind of a supportive shoulder for a, a troubled demographic and generation really. So I hope it does all right.
1: <laughs> so. You mentioned diversity. Let's, let's, let's talk about that next, if you don't mind. So Yeah, of course. You know, we had, uh, I think, three episodes ago, we had the head of BAFTA on talking about how they've been trying to deal with diversity in TV and film more broadly. We had an episode a few further weeks back talking about everything that happened in the US related to George Floyd and social injustice over here. And yeah. the non-white public figure and presenter in the broadcasting world. Have you suffered personally from issues around discrimination?
0: Um, yeah, I would say so. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting
0: question because, you know, I would like to tell you no um, and just say, you know what, no, I haven't seen anything. I, I think it's absolutely, you know, I don't think there's a problem here. Um, and I think you know we you know we've, we're um, we're a society that that has uh, has dealt with it and uh, it's not it's not an issue. But unfortunately, I do think it is. And um, you know, with everything that we've seen from America and with the the protests in the last few weeks, it's um, it's something that has been bubbling again under the surface of society for a long time, and it hasn't been addressed. And therefore, when something like George Floyd happens, um, you're going to get people completely justifiably incredibly angry about everything and it's it's related to so many things to do with oppression so many things to do with um you know being denied opportunities um outright ignorance outright racism in many ways but for me um looking back at you know some of the some of the issues i've had to deal with i think it's i think it's the unconscious bias that is this kind of prevalent. you know people just assuming that you are one you know behind the scenes all the time i'm like no i'm actually the presenter um, you have like um, you know, sort of people assuming that you're not going to be as good as a as a as a white colleague uh, on an issue, when in fact you're you're better or more experienced than a white colleague on something, and yet they just assume you're you're not um, because of the because of your color, the colour of your skin. Um, being passed over for opportunities in senior management, I think, is is um, not something that I've uh, been affected by because I haven't put myself forward for that, but. I've seen it with uh, with colleagues and I've seen it with other people. And it, it's, it's um, it, you know, you only have to look into the industry, um, you know, at the moment and see that there are hardly any non-white um, BAME representation, representatives in, in senior roles in, in media and cultural places in various sectors like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And, you know, I'm trying to think like kind of instances where, you know, there's been overt racism and, and it's 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 just there under the surface people do have their prejudices and it, it it's just a case of kind of weeding out the unconscious bias and um and trying to just sort of um trying to just sort of, to sort of kind of level the playing field which is again another another you know cliche but you know how do you level the playing field when you are dealing with generational attitudes which are really difficult to change so um, yeah i mean you know i, I, I hope i live in hope that, that things will get better. It's it, it, it's um, it, it's you know the, the noises are being made about you know dealing with issues and dealing with problems and and dealing with kind of like ugh, so many things that have just been left for so long that I think now is the right time to to do that and you know it, it's going to take a long time for it to, to properly change but at least we're doing something about like it now hopefully.
1: Do you see yourself as a role model in some ways?
0: Um, for, for this issue, I would say I, I hope so. I hope so. I, I'd like to be able to give advice to the younger generation coming through, and to you know give people kind of insight into kind of my experiences and tell people what I've been through and how I've handled things. And you know, in my earlier career, I'd say you know I've been in this industry what fifteen years now, Dan. And it's um, the last few years have become better and more inclusive and more progressive. But earlier on, when you're starting out, you know, in the you know, it's sort of like early noughties, like late, late noughties, really. So like 2007, eight, nine, 10. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it, the attitudes were very dismissive of, of minorities. Um, you know, you were, you would, if you weren't in a lower sort of order job, you were, you were kind of not taken as seriously. And it's, that is something for me that's that, that I'll always remember. And I just remembered, I, and what I ta- what I take away from that is that, you know, things, I was always drilled into work five times harder than my, next white competitor because that's how much it would take for me to be level with them and that that sort of thing is you know still prevalent I do think it's still there but what I always give advice to young people going coming through is to never let people think that you are inferior to them in any way not from a a work perspective but just from a self-esteem perspective um so I try to just drum up you know pride in a lot of the younger generation and pride in like um you know, the people coming through now who are um, probably a little bit maybe worried about where they might be going in their career and maybe feel like they've been denied opportunities or feel like they've they've been um, given an inferiority complex by people who are higher up. So yeah, it, I like to think and hope that I would be a role model. But um, yeah, maybe I, I think leading by example is a good way to do that. And that's what I'm trying to do every day, really.
1: Because you, you, you did it the hard way. There was no sort of Coming yeah. in at a high level because you know people. You were a runner yeah, on Anton Deck show. You know, you, you worked literally from, I think, yeah. the, the bottom-ish job all the way up. Yeah, that's
0: right. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, was a great job, that, actually. That was a really good job. Love that. Um, but, yeah, you have to, yeah, when you, when you start at the bottom, it's very much, um, yeah, you've got to just prove your worth. You've got to prove that you've got a good attitude. You've got to, like, um, you know, do the things that other people won't do um and yeah that job was was a real yeah it was a real kind of like one to kind of test your your metal really to see what you're worth see what you're all about because you know being a runner in um in the creative sector is is tough it's not for everyone people don't a lot of people don't last because it's just so menial and it's just so low paid and excuse me it's very very difficult it's very very difficult because you have to um it's a political game as well as like a, a kind of you know um a, a kind of game where you have to try and figure out how you're going to climb the ladder because there's no rule like being a runner and being in in the creative sector is you your career could go anywhere you could go one way or another depending on who gets on with you, who, you like, who likes you who likes working with you so you have to try and manipulate that situation to make yourself get to where you want to get to and um yeah it's a tough old game it's a tough old game but i do believe you know starting at the bottom like that and doing those kind kind of jobs makes you more humble as you progress um, and makes you appreciate the success more because otherwise, if you don't have that grounding in doing, you know, absolute, absolute rubbish jobs or you know horrific kind of like labor, effectively for no pay, then you kind of think to yourself, oh, well, it, you know, when you get to a certain point, you think, ah, okay, well, if I haven't done that, then what is it actually worth? So you know that it's worth it's worth every every bit of it when you do have a bit of
1: success. So now in terms of what you do, see, you, you do sport. You've done news. What what does it look like for you if, you know, in 10, 10 years' time, what do you want to be doing? Do you want to be in senior management? Do you want to be out covering more Olympics? Do you want to be on news? What, what What's the sort of medium to long-term career aspirations for you in journalism?
0: Oh, um, I don't know. I think, Dan, it's a really interesting question, that, because, the, you know, what we're seeing right now is an example of how you know, industries can be accelerated five, 10 years, you know, and how things can just sort of change very, very quickly. So I'm always of the ilk of, of not really um, having a, anything too specific down, particularly five to 10 years. It could be, it could be anything in five to 10 years. Um, so I'm just happy to do the best I can in the situation I'm in. And then when, um, when things like kind of move around a bit, you've got to be adaptable to move around with those. So for me, it's always about just doing the best I can right now making sure I'm the best broadcaster for, for wherever I'm broadcasting to in terms of BBC and then just taking it from there because you can only do as good a job as you, you're only as good as your last show effectively. Um, And so therefore if you're, if you're constantly just improving, 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 then the future hopefully will be bright. So for me, I don't really have anything specific to nail down to for five to 10 years, purely on the fact that, you know, it would be, it would be amazing to say, you know, I'd love to be like, I don't know, hosting Strictly Come Dancing or something, or, you know, um you know kind of like anchoring the 10 o'clock news or something like that that would be yeah both jobs incredible obviously but like <laughs> i don't know i don't know how and in what capacity that would be the case because you know the dreams that i had like 5 years ago are, are very different to what they are now so um not i'm saying it's not what i'm not going to if anything it's better than what they were so therefore it's it's uh i just think you have to roll with the punches and go with what the go with what the currents doing yeah. Um, so yeah i like I think actually a lot of people could apply that to their own sort of like career kind of ideas and visions because sometimes you know a lot of people get bogged down in like I want to be here in two three years I want to be here in like five years time and I think what this pandemic has shown is that you know if you're still in the same place in a year's time and if you're doing okay at the moment then that's a success as far as I'm, I can see it I think if you can hold on and do what you're doing in the next two years and keep at the level you're at the moment and you're doing alright now then that is a win, you know, mm. I think there's a lot of like career climbing anxiety out there. And, and um, I think that's, it's a contributory factor actually to a lot of people's mental health problems. You know, they think that they need to climb faster or quicker or higher or harder or whatever. And when they, when it doesn't work out how it maybe could do or should do, then they get depressed or they get upset about it. And it's, it's, yeah, I do think that what will be, will be, but have like an idea of that where you want to go. But I think with developing within sport would be the, the key thing. Developing within sport, maybe doing uh, some news as well, if possible. Um, but definitely building myself as a as a bigger name presenter. That's kind of what I'd like to be doing, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you, look, your point around, you know, if in a year's time, you know, you're still alive, you're still in the same job, that's a win. I think <laughs> it, it's there's definitely something in that.
0: Um, oh, true, man.
1: Look, um, yeah. it's been really good, Gavin. I'm conscious of time, and it's obviously later in the UK. So, look, let's go on to the That's final right. question, which is, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, what would it be, and where would it be?
0: Oh, wow. Um, any whiskey, I'd probably go with... Oh, well, I, I do like my Hague at the moment, so I'm going to go with the Hague. Um... Purely on the fact that I don't feel like I have like, the knowledge or repertoire to be able to give you a, a more, um, <laughs> a better whiskey, basically. But Hague is what I'm into at the moment, so I'm going to go with Haig. Um, and anywhere in the world, um, do you know what, LA, because we were talking about LA a lot and I miss LA. Uh, I miss the sunshine, I miss the vibes. Hague in LA, I'm going to go with someone, who could, we, who could we have to drink it with? Um, I'm going to say Donald Trump. Okay. I'm going to say Donald Trump. Yeah. Why not? Because yeah. there'd be a lot of things I'd want to ask Trump. It would be interesting to see Trump in the flesh as well. So, yeah. I don't need drinks though. so. So, I don't know. He might have to have like a water or something. He doesn't drink, does he? So.
1: He doesn't drink. His mum was Scottish. So, yeah. there's something there. But, yeah. No, interesting. Um, so, first of all, hey, you're the first person to do the location before the person, which is interesting. But uh. it's one of our previous guests said Hitler. Um, oh, really? Not about agreeing with them. It's just about talking to somebody, understanding them. So um, I'm you, having a drink with the President of the United States, whoever it is, is a very good answer. I like that. Very <laughs> good. Super. <laughs> nice, but, man. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you for joining me. Um, and stay safe. I hope there's plenty of sport for you to broadcast about and life begins to return to normal for you and for everybody else. But thanks very much for your, for your time and for your insights. Oh,
0: you too, Dan. Nice, man. Great to speak to you again. Legend. Mm. I love scotch, scotch. scotch. scotch.
1: Yep. and don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica but also ask us questions and comment and say yep. nice things and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and if the mood takes you you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome and drink whiskey Sláintevaar